This is a Northern Irish Movie Review podcast, so it is. There will be nonsense and there will be spoilers. Alright? Hello, I'm your host Jim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of the Banderlex Podcast, once again recorded here at the Odeon Belfast. Now, this week we're going to be talking about Film Devour, Short Film Festival, and we'll be reviewing Uncut Gems, which is out now on Netflix. And joining me on this recording is a newbie, and we haven't had a newbie for a while. It's local writer and film reviewer, James Oliver. Hi. <laughs> James, this is the point now, you've got to do the awkward bit. You've got to introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us Tell all about yourself, your history, your story. We don't want to go as far as conception, <laughs> but tell us about yourself. Okay, so hi everyone. I'm James. I'm 27 and I started uh, reviewing films quite a while back. Probably 2013, 2014 was the first film review I put up on Facebook. What was the first film review? What was the film that Ooh. you sat down and said, you know what, I want to talk about this? It was probably San Andres. Okay, for all the right reasons or all the wrong reasons? Yeah, it was a bit of both, you know, it was kind of like... Was it because of the local connection? Because you've got, oh, I can't remember the name of the actor from Derry Way in San Andreas. No, it was just, it was like your typical average, like, action film. So I kind of enjoyed that, but then at the same time, it was totally far-fetched. So I was like, you know, okay, and I kind of wrote up a piece on it. What did you give it? Like, do you work in stars or do you just I kind of, kind of work in numbers okay. mostly? So I think I gave it like a seven out of ten, maybe. Okay. Yeah, I think it was quite. quite How many of those stars were for Dwayne the Rock Johnson? Yeah, I've already about six of them. That's all right. <laughs> well, actually, no, wait. No, I'll retract that. Got to give some to Alexandra Daddario, yeah. who played the daughter. Yeah, so for obvious reasons. Okay. <laughs> so I remember putting that up, and I remember quite a lot of people being like, oh, you know, that's really good. Like, you know, just telling me that I wrote it quite well and everything. So I was like, okay, maybe I have a knack for this. There so in 2015, I started taking it seriously. And any, well, as many films as I saw, I would try as like my best to just write up a piece on each one. Didn't have to be an overly long piece. It could just be rather short or in between. And people in my work started just catching on more and more and being like, oh, I went and saw that film. You know, you put up a review about it. I agree with you. And I was like, people are actually reading this. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm, I'm surprised by that. I do get still surprised when people either watch the TV show or tell me to listen to the podcast. Yeah. Just, I remember okay. the, it was a couple of months ago we started a thing, which we haven't come back to for a while. It was movie twat of the week. Sorry, cinema going twat of the week. And it was just kind of, if you're at the cinema in the last week, who has been the biggest twat you've been? Has it been people either throwing stuff or talking through the whole thing? And uh, just these people just started tweeting us about it. And I was like, hang on, you listen? What? Who? What? what? No, no, don't. No, no, don't listen. Um, sorry, listeners, we love you all. But um, yeah, it is always a weird feeling. It's weird. Like, this sounds like I'm, I'm a... You know, egotistical kind of maniac. I'm, I'm really not. Um, I remember once was it last year we were out for dinner, my wife and I, and the kind of the waiter came over and went, "Oh, you're the Banterflex guy," and you're like, "Yeah, yeah." It's like it's like a yeah, surreal like, feeling. Like, you, you watch that? He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. We watch it most weeks." Uh, and then proceeded to go. And I was like, "When well, I thought uh, my Amber was like, oh, this is a lovely moment.'" And he was, I can't remember what the film was. Uh, thought he talked a load of shit about that film. You're like, ah, oh, thanks. That's all right. 
brought me back down. But anyway, sorry, that was my little kind of insertion <laughs> of egotistic mania. So back to you. So people started reading you. Yeah, and a lot of my friends and work just kind of said, you know, have you ever thought about taking this seriously? And I was like, I don't think, you know, people would be that interested. And they were like, no, no, you should try it. So there was one of the chefs I used to work with in work. Um, I come from a hospitality background. So, And he said, you know, the next Barry Norman. I was like, well, I think that's a bit too far. But he goes, you should really try... Uh, videos you know see if that would work and i thought okay so the start of 2016 i put up my first ever video review just on facebook um and the response i got was insane like again just all my friends would you be in a would you have been offended if your chef friend had said you could be the next alexian uh no i would have taken okay. anything at that point so just you know as okay. long as people listen to me i kind of mean that's, that's cool. right so alexian gets paid for what he does yeah i mean i don't mind him hosting like well yeah, the Oscars. I'm like, you know, mm, I don't mean, You're going to lose me, James. Okay. <laughs> you're going to lose me. <laughs> so, yeah, so the first review I ever did, video review, was for Creed, actually. Okay. So, it's a good, good, good film. Okay. I thought it was good. Yeah. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And uh, I then got in touch with, um, I was just kind of sending out, you know, any, like, emails to, like, magazines or anything to see if they'd let me write a piece. And in May 2018, uh, there was one day that um, Northern uh, Woman magazine came in, mm. basically looking for us to take an ad out in their magazine. And they were like, yeah, we have a film page now as well. And I was like, oh, do you now? Well, I was like, that's, that's funny you should say that. Did <laughs> you try like, to be brief? Did you say, we'll give you an advert if you let me write a piece? Not even that. No, <laughs> I was just like, I review films funny enough. She goes, oh, really? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, oh, well, here's like my card. You know, to get in touch with my editor. And long story short, got in touch with the editor, uh, Katrina. And yeah, I wrote for them for a year and a half. Um, the magazine's now, it's uh, not published anymore. It finished Is there. that because you didn't put that advert up? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are like, funny that, James, it mm. goes out of press whenever you start writing for them. I was like, thanks for that, guys. But there it goes. So hopefully after being on this podcast, you know, next week, Bannerflick won't be out of business. Fingers crossed. I don't think, I don't think that's going to be the case. Right. Uh, yeah, just kind of before, I've got a couple of questions I'm going to ask you just so people can get to know your cine psyche. Yeah, cool. But just before we get into that, where can people find you? Where can people find your video reviews? Okay, so generally I tend to do it just for my own Facebook page. So um, if not, you can find me on YouTube. Is this your egotistical way of just getting loads of followers now? And loads <laughs> not, of friends on Facebook? Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, for YouTube, at James Oliver Film Reviews. Really okay. simple. And for your Instagram, at James9247. Okay. So. so these are the questions I've come up. And I'm not going to lie, these might have been just kind of done on the hoof. <laughs> I'm fine. just going to ask you right now, as yeah. we record, because yeah. it's always an awkward question, Tell me your favorite film right now as you're sitting in front of me. Heat. That's there's no thought there at all whatsoever. No. So it hasn't. It's not something that fluctuates. It's just it's heat. Heat. It yep. is true because it was on telly. It was on film four early this week, and I came home. I was down in Dublin. I was about twelve. I was about forty minutes into it. It's like I'll just flip on to plus four, plus yeah, one, <laughs> and uh, maybe was it three o'clock? I got to bed. Yeah. I, and I'm not gonna lie. I don't think I saw it right through to the end because it was with adverts and film. Yeah, four. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. But I just like I haven't seen this in ages, and it's just immense. It's just, yeah, I mean, I just love it. Pacino, De Niro, it's... You can't get any better than that. We, for, I did, like, for my 250th review, I got a kind of small crowd together, and mm -hmm. we went to the Excelsior Theatre in Cumber, mm -hmm. and that's... We were recently there. Yeah, and that's what I put on. I was like, hey. We were recently <laughs> there for Bandaflix's deputy editor, Joe McElroy. Okay. His 30th, mm -hmm. and his lovely girlfriend, Catherine, who is very, very lovely, uh, had been talking to me for a while about putting on this film and I kind of said yeah. she'd asked me like what's some of his favorite films I said well look I know he loves and adores Blade Runner I know that and mentioned a few films I said but I don't know how that would play 
to like Joe's family and stuff. And she said, yeah. oh, no, I'll go away and have a think about it. And we kind of, she came back to me and was like, oh, I've got the film, I've got the film, because I know Joe wants to watch it. And I was like, okay, all right, okay, cool. It's like, don't, don't take my help, don't take my advice, all right. And uh, sat down to watch it, and it was Internal Affairs, Richard Gere <laughs> film. <laughs> With uh, now, you're, now you're sniggering. Or, I mean, you, you've got sleazy, sexy Richard Gere. Yes, Richard Gere yeah. being a full-on sleaze bag in that film, and the the actress from Three Men, the Little Baby, who I couldn't, I couldn't place her for ages. I was doing because you're in the cinema, you don't want to get, you can't get yeah, out the phone, you, yeah. and you're trying to go right. I'm trying to not do that. You're trying to figure it out. It's like who is she? Who is she? I kind of turn into, oh, what do you call? It? Is it Stacy from? Uh, big brother who is she <laughs> who is she and uh, eventually it's I realised it's the, the the mother from Three Men and the Little Baby but in that film she has a British accent and this she doesn't and I was like Joe yeah I didn't realise you loved Internal Affairs so much because it, it is a film I loved because yeah. it's a bit like it's about police work and good good police work as po- and against bad police work and the kind of day to day routine of police work yeah. and he's like I, I've never seen that film before in my life I was like, I really like it, but I've never seen it. It's like, okay. It's like, I think Catherine got mixed up. I think it was Infernal Affairs. You know, the film that inspired Scorsese's The Departed. Well, yeah. part one and part two. And I think that's where she maybe got mixed up. It's like, oh, well, we still watch a good film. But it's anyway. still good, yeah. We got off. We let you off the leash there. So your favorite film is Heat. Yep. And there's no fluctuation about no, that. No, not at all. Okay. What is, or who, sorry, who is, who is the actor that regardless of whether you've heard good reviews, bad reviews, middling reviews, you will go to the cinema to see that actor's film. That's a tough one, actually. That is. Um, oh, you know what? I'm gonna say Tom Hardy. All right, Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, and then the last one. What is a film that you just just hated? Just hated. Every part of it, and just wanted to go round and tell every person involved, from the editor, the cinematographer, the composer, director, producer, cast member, even just people who were extras. I said, "What a load of shite that film was." Downsizing. All right. If you want to talk about being missold a film, <laughs> if ever I was ever missold a film okay. on the trailer, that is it. But you see, James, you've got to get into the kind of Bandaflex mantra now. You know, you've got to just accept trailers will lie. Trailers, some of them but don't. <laughs> trailers, but some trailers tell you everything yeah. about the film. Which is pointless. Yeah. Never they'll, they'll tell you, because I mean, I've, I've just seen Queen and Slim, and it's it's pretty much the trailer's all there. Yeah. The trailer's all there, and it's just a condensed version of the film. I'm not saying I really like that film, Yeah, but I think if, the less you've seen of the trailer, the, the more you're going to be. But Downsizing, isn't, it's not a film I love. Because I think it's recently come on to Netflix, which I know we're going to be talking about Netflix yep. for this week's pod. Yep. But uh, I don't despise it. I just think it's a, it's it's like someone tried to make something really nice and ended up making an eaten mess. Yeah. And in, I still kind I still kind of enjoyed it. I still kind of enjoyed it because who doesn't like a good eaten mess? It doesn't look good, but it's still kind of you know it's sugary. It's wrong for you, and <laughs> it's there. But you know you kind of. I'll, no, I'll give you a better analogy. It's like someone tried to make an omelette and they ended up making scrambled eggs. Yes. That's that's, that's, that's a better a perfect one. perfect analogy. You're still yes. going to watch it. You may or may not like it. 
but it's not the thing that you thought you were going to make. I can't say I'd watch it again, but... <laughs> well, we're going to give you homework. Okay, so as I said, we're going to be talking about Uncut Gems on this week's pod, and I know we're going to be coming to our little pre-recorded piece from Film Devar, which was last week, but I just thought we'd just seen, just because I caught your Facebook feed just before we came in to record, yeah, and you were getting quite grumpy about the fact that we've just saw the trailer for Fast and Furious 9. Yes. So clearly, you're not excited there, about this. There does not, it's like, this franchise for me, personally, just should have stopped a long time ago. Are you saying then that this series should have stopped back by maybe one or two when it was a, a, a series or a fil- films that were about car thieves? No, I would have literally, you know, personally, again, I would have let it get to seven, which Paul Walker tragically mm-hmm. passed away, and that's it. You had a nice ending. They both drive off different directions, mm-hmm. knowing they can't really be together, that sort of thing. And that's it. You could just left it that perfect note. Seven films, bang. But no, they just kept it makes going. Money. It makes money. And then they did Hobbs and Shaw as well, and nobody asked for that. But people paid their money <laughs> they to go see. Did, they did, which is the problem. But it's you know, it turns into a bit of like as my analogy was, G.I. Joe films, just yeah. over-the-top action. So if it was called G.I. Joe, I'd have no issue, but stop calling it Fast and Furious. It's I'll go better than that. It's wacky races. Yes. It's, it's wacky. <laughs> yes, like, I, mean, I have to admit, like watching the trailer last night, I was watching it on my phone. My lovely wife was trying to watch Grey's Anatomy. I'd just seen that it come on, because, of course, it's the Super Bowl this weekend. Yep. And I was like, all right, okay, the trailer's live, and we'll have to put it up on the website. Still haven't done that yet, but by the time this recording's out, it will be up on the website, so listeners, you can view it there. And I just kind of went, it's just silly, bombastic nonsense. Yeah. But you know what? As silly as it is, and I was not a big fan of Fast and Furious 8. I was not a big fan. I know Charlie Theron is there as kind of the character of Cypher. Something like that. I think she was, and there's a sequence with a submarine. It didn't have the same fun factor but that said it was kind of pure escapism it was silly nonsense and i think is it universal run that studio i mean they don't need an avengers franchise they've got it now with (laughs) with fast and furious and they've retooled that franchise from being what it what it was which was a series all about car thieves into this kind of they're they're avengers-esque you know they're kind of going all it's kind of mission impossible stuff but yeah. where the laws of gravity Do and physics apply. don't apply. <laughs> yeah. There is that sequence where the car jumps and there's things. Yeah. There a ma- there's a magnet. Is yeah. it, is it, there's, a, there's a stealth bomber with a magnet that yep. gets the other plane and you're like, yeah. or that gets the other car and you're like, okay, I, I, I'm just going to have to, you know what, as you go in, you work in a cinema, you're yes. going to know this. So as yes. you go in, it's going to be like, a, can I have a ticket for Fast and Furious 9? And but here's my brain, right? I'm just going to set that out, park that here. <laughs> Let me just go. And just enjoy it and just sit and clap like a seal whenever Vin Diesel does stuff. But hey, John Cena's going to be there. John Cena's going to be. So what's not to like? You've got John Cena as they're clearly going down this connection of of the importance of family. It's always been the front and center of the series. It has. Even in Hobbs and Shaw, they brought that whole thing with with family. And John Cena's going to be there as the brother we never knew Dom had. But you know you so cliche, <laughs> you know, and you know in the next film he'll probably have another brother or a cousin. It's never like a sec- <laughs> it's never like a second cousin. That's no, the bad one. No, because you know why? Because nobody knows who their fucking second cousin is. Let's be honest. But right. you mentioned Paul Walker. Yes. And the one thing I am kind of I don't want to say cynical about. I don't want to say because I haven't seen the film and I don't know how they're going to handle it. 
and I can't remember the name of the actress, but the name of the actress who plays Paul Walker's wife, oh, girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. She's back for this yeah, one. Yeah, I, I saw that. So yeah. I'm just kind of like, how are you going to handle, are you going to have Paul Walker's character? Is he now bumped off or is he like, oh man, he's, he's at home. He's binging on Netflix. I don't know. I can't think of, he, he just can't get on this one. He's, he's yeah, there. He's minding it's... the kids. You know, he's going to be minding the kids at home. He can't come. Are they going to use, like they did for some stuff in Fast and Furious 7, where they had, you know, his brother yeah. kind of using like just some back of the head shots. Please don't. Just I, please don't do are that. Are they going to try and do what they did in Star Wars? And just kind of have his character just bite bits of dialogue from the Fast and Furious 1 or 1 to 7. <laughs> like, it'll just be him. It'll be like that episode of The, of the Simpsons with Radioactive Man. It'll just kind of oh, yeah. be cut to Paul Walker kind of going, yeah, Dom. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know because I think that kind of completely undermines the sentiment that Fast and Furious 7... No, actually, I think it's Fast and Furious 6. It's Fast Is and Furious 6. It's like, Fast okay, and Furious... Just... Sorry, listeners, we stand corrected. We are the experts. It's Fast and Furious 6. Okay, I did not know that. And I am not going to lie. I watched that. I have a soft spot for the Fast and Furious franchise. And I did have a little cry. Because I thought that sequence was handled really, really well. And you yeah. did get a sense that there's all this talk of family in front of the camera and also seemed to be behind the camera. Yeah. And then once kind of studios were like, got to get more. And they're like, Vin Diesel's like, fuck it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. But, okay. Kurt, but Kurt Russell's there. He might be back for this. I don't know. The only thing that's getting me really pumped about it, apart from that weird gravity defiant sequence, is the fact Justin Lin's back as director, and he's kind of done the best in the series where it's been when as it's been moved away from what it was originally about, as it's become this kind of retooled kind of Mission Impossible type Action stuff. Man type I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be pumped about it. Okay. It's gonna be silly, but it's gonna be fun. I'm gonna sit. It's gonna be a film, James. I'm gonna munch popcorn on. Okay, yeah. And clap, right. like, clap okay. like a seal clap whenever like Vin Diesel stuff. But anyway, <laughs> um, we're going to move on and we'll bring it back to something local. And last week we were down at the Film Devour Short Film Festival at the Black Box Belfast. And I got a chance to speak to Brian Mulholland, who's the founder of Film Devour, and two of the directors who won on the night, Matt McGuigan, who won for his feature Dodge, and Jim McMorrow, who won for his short The Upside. You'll hear Brian first, then Matt, then Jim. Film Devour Short Film Festival is basically a showcase evening uh, for uh, Northern Irish and wider areas talent. Um, it's increasingly harder to make films, but even harder to get them seen in front of an audience. So uh, we've been doing Devour for about 10 years now. We're on the 31st event and um, the content grows, the talent grows. Um, they're getting a lot younger, but um, they're showing up and they're putting their films, hopefully we, we basically are we are showcasing their films on the big screen and there's an audience for it here and ultimately that's what it's all about. It's about, uh, it's storytelling and it's 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 um, getting the story seen. Um, so Devar will continue to do that as long as the content's there and it doesn't look like stopping anytime soon. Devar has evolved over the 10 years. Um, first of all, the first thing pops in my head is technically. I think um, there's a lot more toys now over the over the counter toys that people can make films look and sound better um, but ultimately it comes down to story and they've got to have the stories um, basically proof tonight is that both both winners had really good stories and, and told them well um, but also I think the Devar audience has started to 
uh, be more respectful of all different kinds of stories, um, from comedy to drama to, you know, um, we had a lovely little animation tonight. And, and then we had people really feel things tonight, you know, with, 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 with both winners. Um, so the, the, ultimately that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, it's about um, making your audience feel. And, you know, there's people here tonight that, that, that have made films or know people that have made films. There's also people that never have, they're just audience members, they just want to hear a good story. And hopefully they'll go and tell people and they'll be back. That's what it's all about. 10 years ago, 11, 12, 13 years ago, when we, we made uh, short films, we put them online when YouTube was in its infancy, and that was it. You know, maybe you had friends or family that kind of liked it, and, and, and that's it. But to get it in a room um, with people who don't know you, that's when you really know if your movie has worked or not. If your comedy is funny, if your horror is scary, if your drama makes people feel. It's, it, that's, that's ultimately what it's about. There is no cinema without audience. There's no point in painting without a gallery, if that makes any sense. So, and, and eyes to look at those the, the pictures. So that's just all, ultimately what Devar does is kind of, you know, showcase many stories. My name is Matthew McGuigan, and the film that was in Film Devour was Dodge. I was extremely nervous when it came on, like very, very sweaty. But like whenever the laugh started kind of rolling in towards the end, I'm like, oh, this is actually, this, this feels good, like this experience. But like, I was anxious beforehand, but I'm, I'm, it's cool, like seeing, seeing it on the screen and like seeing people's reaction to it. Like that's a, that's a great feeling. Like I've always had an interest in animations as since I, I was a child, but like I think it's because you can get more like world building. I feel with animation, and also like the possibilities are endless. Especially like I started off as an 11 year old, and like I could just animate day in day out, but I couldn't really do that with live action. And it's one of those things where I've been doing for years, and like. I just feel like I can write so many, many stories around animation. When I first started like making films, not really being involved in the scene, and I always had a negative view. We're like, oh, all the films are the same, kind of like they all they all look the same, they all sound the same. But like going to local festivals now in the mo more recent years, and even going to uni and all, you realize like, oh, every film's different, and like everyone's kind of diverse with their ideas and whatnot. Uh, especially tonight, like it was. You, get, you definitely seen just a broad range, like a lot of serious films, comedic films, dramas, and like shot differently, all of it edited too. Um, so it makes me very happy on the whole state of it here. I'm feeling very happy. Uh, Upside won Audience Choice Award, uh, which was just a real uh, sense of gratification for all the hard work that the cast and crew put into the film and I'm very very grateful to Brian for putting the film on tonight. It was a bit nerve-wracking uh, to sit with an audience initially but uh, <laughs> once the once the first laugh started uh, I sat in the nerves quite a bit and uh, you know I think it's just indicative of the audience that uh, Film Devar actually gets because there was such a cross genre, there was some horror, there was some comedy, there was some drama and every film was given the utmost respect, every film was given its due attention and uh, you know I'm just eternally grateful for the audience to vote Upside as winner in you know a plethora of such incredible work. The first time I entered here was back in 2014 for a short film spots which had two actors, no money and I had no contacts at all and by playing in the festival uh, it opened up so many doors you found so many like-minded collaborators you find uh, people who were willing to sort of donate their time and expertise and that only made my films better uh, I certainly and it's one of those things that 
you know, my skill sets had to grow to accommodate the incredible talent that was being afforded me by Film Devoir. And, you know, I think we should all be, as independent filmmakers, we should all be so, so grateful to Brian and Corrine and the rest of the Film Devoir team for what they do. Uh, as I've said before, he's the Terry Hooley of independent cinema in Belfast. Uh, we need more like him. So that's our showcase of Willem Devar, and that'll be back in April in a few months' time. And with that, we shall move on to this week's big review. How you doing, Holly? How's it going? Hey, Howard. Good Pesach, Howard. All right, Larry, you're a Jew again. Welcome back. I made a crazy risk. You gamble. And it's about to pay off. I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. That's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. Okay, so that's a clip of Uncut Gems. James, do you want to very quickly, for our listeners, give a bit of setup, give us an idea of what Uncut Gems is all about? Not an easy task. <laughs> um, that's okay, yeah. So Uncut Gems follows the story of Howard Ratner, who is a pawn shop owner in New York's financial district. And he basically ends up getting in with the wrong crowd. He's in a lot of debt. And throughout the film, it kind of goes from a bad day to just a bad week mm. for him. Uh, as he's using other people's money, throwing it about town and risking it all on uh, basketball games and yeah just it doesn't really doesn't really bode well for him you could say in the long run yeah <laughs> now as we said this is now available on netflix but you saw this on the big screen yes yeah, so it was released um for a limited time in uh queen's film theater and uh, mm-hmm. earlier this month the 10th i think it was so i went there literally the day it came out i was off work and i said mm-hmm. yep i'm gonna go see it and I watched it last night as well, just to yeah. kind of refresh myself. <laughs> That's going to be interesting because we will come back to that. I know before we kind of get into hearing your thoughts specifically in the film, how important do you feel it is that right now it seems to be particularly the QFT, but I know there's other cinemas have showcased them recently, that we are getting this opportunity now to see Netflix titles on a big screen. We've had at QFT, I can think of like The Two Popes. We think, of course, The Irishman, Marriage Story. Uh, I'm sure there's been a few others um, that have been out of late. But the fact that we're getting that opportunity to see it on a big screen, because I haven't seen Uncut Gems on the big screen, and I'll, I'll hold fire on why I think that's detriment to me for now, but just on that general point, how important do you think it is that we get that opportunity? <coughs> Pardon me. Um, I think it's fantastic. I love seeing films on a big screen. People, you hear a lot of people who, you know, these days talk about, oh, you know, cinema's dead or it's dying because of the likes of, you know, you can get these wonderful films that are on Netflix, mm-hmm. stream straight to your TV, to your phone, to your iPad, whatever. But whenever the opportunity comes along where they get a chance to showcase it and you can catch it on a big screen, I just, I just think it's the best thing ever because you can still enjoy essentially what is a very cliched saying the magic of cinema mm-hmm. you know on a big screen with people in the auditorium surrounding you who are also there for the same reason they because they appreciate good film and so i think it's just i think it's brilliant whenever yeah. you get to see these films yeah i agree and as i say i'm going to come back to that point um about being able to see it on the big screen just when i kind of share my thoughts on mm-hmm. the film but 
since we're talking about uncut gems, generally, what's your thoughts? And we can, I mean, we do treat this as a a spoiler zone. So, I mean, we have our little warning at the start of the podcast. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) So, you can spoiler, but before you get into anything you feel is spoilerific, generally, what's your thoughts on the film? Loved it. Okay. Just straight out. Loved it. Um, I thought that the performances were great. Um, I liked how they got certain people to portray themselves, such as Kevin Garnett mm-hmm. and The Weeknd, especially. Um, it's it's just one of those stories that, from the second it starts, up oh, it grabs you, pulls you in, mm-hmm. and you're automatically in that world, and you're like, right, and you're... Even as it starts with a colonoscopy? Okay, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe not that bit, but, <laughs> you know, the second... Um, He's you know he's out of the hospital and he's walking down the you know the street and people are grabbing him and they're talking mm. to him and immediately you get this sense of dread that like right this is a guy who clearly he's known about the place but he clearly it was like quite a lot of money yeah. because you hear people coming up to him being like yeah I got this you know, where's my money he's like ah you can I'm not cursed he's here, a gambling yeah. addict he <laughs> yeah. you know he is there's no denying it and I don't think it's a spoiler to say because as you say we get that very much from the get go that this is someone who's always looking for the next score. Yeah. Looking for the next... And even if he wins big, it's still going to be, right, where, where can I go yeah, next? It's not enough. And, well, not spoiler right away, but I think had the, the end of this film played out slightly differently, and, you know, I'm going to be... Couldn't be careful how I phrase this, but uh, <laughs> had the ending of this film finished differently, I think he would be regardless. What's next? What next? Oh yeah. Whether or not he won, he wins big. Yeah. I think he's still going to be going right. What do I do with this? Yeah. What? And, yeah. and I mean that is class. That's gambling addiction. Yeah. We see that, and I mean it's been in the news recently because I know there's a couple of footballers. I think there's a footballer in the or a manager actually. I think in the Scottish football league. Oh, okay. Who's kind of come out and openly admitted he's struggling with gambling addiction. Oh, and I know, I know we hear a lot of footballers talking about that yeah. in their past. That <laughs> it, it is an addiction. And it, it there is this kind of sense that it, it's not about the win. It's about the kind of, right, where, where, where can I use that to go to next? It's the to next, thrill. To next. It's, yeah. And you see that because this is why I'm going to come back to why I wish I'd seen this in the big screen. Because I th- this played at London at the film festival as the surprise film. Oh, okay. Couldn't get tickets for it. Yeah. And there's a couple of people went to see it that I know, a couple of fellow critics I've got to know, particularly in Scotland, who just said, like you, it's the best thing I've seen in a long, long time. And I said, like, okay, it is something special. I respect your opinion. And uh, I watched it. I didn't get to see it in the big screen. Watched it on Friday when it was released. Yep. I find myself as much as, as, as intense as the opening 40 minutes in particular are, I find myself really struggling with it. Not okay. in a kind of sense of that I wasn't getting it. It's like the fact that I just do not like this character. And I think this is an important thing. I don't think you're ever asked to like no, the character yeah. of Hard. I don't think... It, it's a weird thing when you're... Because Adam Sanders character, he's given a performance of someone who's given a performance himself. Like, he plays up on the whole Jewish stereotype. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking about it when I rewatched it. It it's kind of reminds me of weird kind of Jim kind of tenuous connection. The Family Guy episode where Peter discovers he's he's Jewish when and you it, wish upon a Wednesday. Yeah, and he's kind of like he kind of he's going and he's playing up in the whole Jewish stereotype because that's what yeah. 
that's what Sanders doing, but it's quite a clever because it's that a sense of he's someone who's giving a performance. Sanders giving a performance as hard, who himself is giving a performance as playing up as this kind of Jewish stereotype. Yeah, in New York, who's working in this jewelry store that has some of the worst tackiest stuff I have ever seen. The bejeweled Furby yes. is <laughs> is something horrific to be seen. I just want my land for collectors. You know? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's people who are going to want that, but. I I found myself struggling and I turned it off after 40 minutes. Knew I had to review it for the pod and I always have the motto, you can't review something you haven't seen fully. You have to watch it through to the closing credits. Yep. Post-credit stings don't count. I don't think there's one in this. So put it on last night after we'd finished recording uh, our previous podcast, which was a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a film I absolutely loved. And again, found myself struggling about the 40-minute mark. I said, right... Okay, I'll I'll wait. So I watched it this morning. Yeah. Again. Okay. Third time. And once I got over the 40-minute mark, once the film kind of slows down that little bit, because there's, there's a sense about, about the 40-minute, 40 40 minute, 50-minute mark, because it's just this, this, this start where you're literally, he goes from, well, we, we have the start that's set in a mine where we see this jewel being, or we see these jewels, uh, and then they're eventually brought to New York. As I say, you go from looking into these jewels to a colonoscopy. And then we're literally on the street with Adam Sandler. And it's just, as you say, loan shark after loan shark, give me money with this, that, the other. I need this, take my watch, it's worth 20 grand, X, Y, Z. And it's just really intense. And you're kind of left going, I, I just couldn't get into it. And I think had I been in the cinema where it's not, where after, the, after 40 minutes in the cinema, you can't go, you know what? I'll just switch it to IDV2 and watch another episode of Family Guy. You're in there, you kind of, it's the thing I always talk about, you give yourself over to the screen. Yeah. And I know that sounds a bit OTT, but that's the only way I can describe it. And you say whether, it's kind of sense, whether you feel you've made a good choice, bad choice, you've paid to see this, you're going to fucking you're see here it. You're like You're going to fucking see it to the end. <laughs> I think had I watched in the cinema, I would enjoy it a lot more. But watching it again this morning, I found once I got over that, that kind of stressful opening. Yeah. Where it's quite clever because it's it's not showing you it shows you everything you need to know about the character of Howard, not by telling you but by showing you, and that's the always thing we ask: show me, don't tell me. Yeah, and you kind of see by the things that what he does throughout those first forty minutes when you see him kind of go in front. Because part of me was like, is this going to be done like in the style of nineteen seventeen? Is it all one shot and it's just <laughs> yeah. one really bad day? <laughs> and I was like, this is just going to be too. It's just too intense. It's too overpowering. And one thing I will say is, though, the score, I think it's Daniel Lobating did the score. I think the score is amazing in this film. It really does grab me. And he's the same composer because it's the Shafton brothers who did uh, Isn't It Good Time? Yeah. Which was, again, that similar kind of thing of with a protagonist in Robert Pattinson, you don't necessarily have to like. You don't necessarily, I think he's maybe more engaging or more slightly sympathetic. Yeah, than, yeah. Than the character that that I'm Sanders playing here, you're, it's it's more to get on on board with him. I don't think you're ever really on board with Hard. I don't think you ever really. There's not really a point. Maybe that's just me. There's not really a point where you want the the big scores to to come together because and that particularly plays and in, in the end where <laughs> there is a sequence we can't go into spoilers. Yeah, where he's the loan sharks are in the store. He has the little, as, as most jewelry stores do, the little kind of security gate for when you're coming in and out. He's holding them hostage whilst the bet that he's 
plan the bet that he's got is is playing or the, the game that he's got a bet on is playing out and it finally all comes together i never really sat there going i hope this works out for you i hope it all works out for you in the end to be honest i kind of did a bit. Oh, that's because you like the bad boy <laughs> he's the kind of character that you love to hate but at the same time you can't i'd hate to be in his company oh yeah but you can kind of like you hate him like whenever you know he gets the first payoff mm-hmm. you know well, sorry, technically they, the Lone Sharks, they stopped the first pay off, but he got it anyway. You know, mm-hmm. he was going to get it. And he's like, right. And then he's like, oh, you know what to do? So you're like, holy shit, he actually got that. And mm-hmm. then it comes to the big final payoff and he gets it as well. And you're like, oh my God, like that's amazing. But then at the same time, you're like, right, just pay the guys off. You know, you've got mm-hmm. the money for the Opal. Just get, and he doesn't. And then he goes, and you're like, God damn it, what are you doing? It's like, you could solve all your problems right now, but he doesn't. Yeah. And so in that sense, that's why, I mean, you love to hate him. So you're like, I'm sort of rooting for you, even though I know you're not going to do the right thing. And he doesn't do the right thing, you're like, okay, you're an idiot. Mm. <laughs> and you're just sitting there like, I, ah, this I feels don't intense. Know. I just never find myself kind of sitting there rooting for this guy. And it's it's not to say that you can't enjoy a film. I don't think you, you don't have to. You're not able, let me rephrase that. I don't think your enjoyment of a film is based on whether or not you like the characters we've oh, no, seen you know i've there's films i've loved where it's characters you thoroughly detest and you want to boo and hiss at this you know as i say i had the the problems with the first 40 minutes like where he's going from his store to his his what would be the what would be the term because i don't i don't do bets what's the term bookies, bookies. <laughs> he's going to he's going to his bookie he's going to his mistress he's going to his wife Perfectly cast as Adina Menzel by as Adina Menzel as his wife. I did not recognize her, and then I was kind of going, "I know you from yeah, somewhere." Yeah, what what else is she from? Because she looks familiar, but I can't, I couldn't. I I don't know in head. terms of films, but she's in Frozen too, and Fro- so she's in Frozen. She's Elsa in Frozen. Listeners, James's mind is blown. Yeah, my <laughs> but she's she's perfectly cast as this. I don't want to say it and, and to sound like an, an offensive term, but she's as my father would call like a Jewish princess, and but that is exactly what she. Like, there's a sequence where, the, you know, this is the kind of thing he's betting on when they're going to get divorced, or he's kind of, oh, we'll 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 start divorce proceedings by Passover and this that and other thing, and then it's like, you know what, I kind of like this. Maybe we'll kind of carry on a bit, and she just kind of like, no, I hate you, you, because there is this thing he's. He's toxic for everyone around him. He brings oh, yeah. everybody down. Like he's slowly ruining his own family. And then we have his mistress, girlfriend. And at first, I have to admit, at first, I was like, mm, you are, there's not much there. But you do get a sense near the end of the film that maybe, I, maybe you're going to disagree that she genuinely actually loves this guy. Oh, yeah, no, I, I got I think I it's not them. just about. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I get a sense that, but I don't know. Maybe now from thinking about, it, I mean, do you get a sense that he's clearly her sugar daddy? We know that. Oh, yeah. You know, That's... he's got her placed in a lovely apartment, <laughs> yeah. and when you go into the apartment, it's the apart from from apartment from hell. It's bling to the max. Yeah. The, the guy has no taste. It's all. It all seems to be about money and what things cost. Like we see this horrible Gucci shirt that he has lying about his office and there's someone kind of giving off about, and, you know, you wreck my shirt. It's like, here, have that Gucci shirt worth yeah. 500 quid. It's all about <laughs> what... His life is based around all what things cost. Yeah. And you constantly see that being reminded. I mean, we see the gems, like they're a million. He paid 100 grand to get them shipped over. 
and then there's a point in the film where suddenly they're they're revalued. Yeah, the the scene, <laughs> and it just then I mean he just blows his fuse. Yeah, and another thing because it's just. I have those moments where it's just you know that person's voice. The person that's on the phone, I think it's Anna. Yeah, is the the person he's been dealing with. That's voiced by Tilda Swinton, and you're kind of like going like, "I was like, yeah, I know that voice from somewhere." I have to say, listeners, I just googled it. I did looked, not again. Didn't I looked. That. I looked on IMDb, <laughs> and that's mental. You just kind of see, and then there's that sequence in the auction where it's like, because it's been because it's been. Uh, devalued he wants to drive up the price so he gets his he gets i'm not sure is it is is it just a friend i don't know if it's a family member i f- yeah i think it's I judd think hirsch it's, that yeah, plays him. i think it's it good is to see judd hirsch back family member i think yeah, and it's his I, want, son you, and, I want you to drive up the price yeah so as kevin garnett can then mm-hmm. you know take it for a higher price and, and then that yeah, fucks up and yeah, then he owes, <laughs> he owes then judd hirsch's character money and then he's like right well give me that back i'm gonna sell that yeah and it's i don't know it's Stressful. <laughs> I, I heard, I heard someone review it, and I'm not quite sure who it was. I don't know if it was Empire or if it was Robbie Collins or Mark Kermode. They described this as as if someone intended to make a full blown feature, which just it's about the two hour mark, just over yeah, two just hours. Yeah, just over two hours. Yeah. That that they decided to do the scene from the sequence in Goodfellas, the drug run mm-hmm. in Goodfellas, which is what six seven minutes long. Yeah. They decided to make that stretch that out into a full-blown feature and it's like that's the closest thing i was like when i was watching it today yeah that's the closest thing i can think of in comparison that you've taken that idea that stress and that stressful environment and stretch it out but having said that watching it again this morning on the third attempt at viewing i i'm positive about i actually thought we might be in disagreement i don't know because i i don't know it's a film that has has divided opinion oh yeah absolutely just for the amount of effing and jeffing yeah and it's there's no real it's, it's a thing i like about it there's it's not really bogged down by exposition it's kind of the plot is kind of being pushed forward i come back to by showing me what people do yeah not by telling me what people are doing it, it's i think if I, if I watch this in a cinema on a first time viewing i would be wax and lyrical about it uh i think because i watch it on netflix and i think people might struggle okay with yeah, this i, mean, I, I, I don't know yeah. you know people complained about the irishman being three whatever it is hours long and whoever broke that down into episodic no, nature just needs to have a word let's not <laughs> let's not go there <laughs> but generally you know we're, we're both being really positive about the film particularly i think we're both being positive about adam sandler yeah. You know, probably his best kind of serious mm. role since Punch Drunk Love, or there was the Mayowitch Chronicles, which I know was also on Netflix. I didn't Netflix. get around to seeing that, unfortunately. I think it's still up on Netflix it, yeah. as well. But there is, we were talking about this on the last pod um, with Victoria about Adam Sandler Itis. I don't know, how old are you, 27? Yeah. I think you maybe went through Adam Sandler Itis. I don't know, I'm going to judge, right? We were talking about this because a couple of years ago, I threw on Happy Gilmore, a film I loved when I was younger, and suddenly Great went, show. you haven't went through the change then. I was like, <laughs> I hate this film. I absolutely hate this film. It's, it's not funny. He's just annoying. And then I said, right, I'll, I'm just re- going riffing back on old jokes from the previous pod. I said, I'll watch Billy Madison. Oh, no. It's it's not wrong. Okay, I got to it. I watched The Waterboy, and I was like, all right, it's okay. Everything's, everything's, <laughs> everything's all good with the world. But I did find myself kind of going like stuff like, okay, Little Nicky I didn't love at all. 
but it's okay. I, no, you have definitely haven't went through the change. <laughs> there, there comes a time in all of our life when we look back at some of the Adam Sandler films and go, "Were they? Were they really all that good?" <laughs> and I don't think anyone—I don't know anyone—who's really defended any of the stuff he's put out in Netflix. But oh, are you maybe gonna? Listeners, no, well, maybe, it's just, no. Listeners, it's, I know. think James is going to defend. <laughs> no, no, just I don't know. It's I kind of like I have a good example. So there was. I was in the queue waiting to purchase my ticket from Cup mm-hmm. Gems and there were two women in front of me, I'd say probably in their thirties, and they just missed the start of Little Women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they asked the cashier, Oh, is there anything else on around this time? And the cashier says, Yes, we have uh, uncut gems. Oh, you know, t- tell us about that. Adam Sandler's new one instantly, no, no, don't like him. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I felt that was a bit harsh. I know he's only known for he's Hollywood's but, go-to but this funny is my guy. this is my long-winded way of kind of getting that point across. The thing about Adam Sandler is when you look at films like Punch Drunk Love, he knows what a good script looks like. Oh, yeah. He knows from the basis of this, basis on the basis of Punch Drunk Love, he knows how to give a good performance. As Mark Kermode says, I think if you know what you're going to get with Adam Sandler and use it, you know, as someone who you don't necessarily have to like, it's kind of like the Tom Cruise factor when you get him in a director like Paul Thomas Anderson and you get him in Magnolia when you don't want Tom Cruise to be the guy that's running okay in the previous in the case of the previous Mission Impossible film falling and breaking his leg but you know in fairness he was trying to jump a building true but when you're trying to get him to act you, you want to get the kind of sleaze factor out of Tom Cruise because it's there and I don't mean that in a bad way it's there it's it's a good thing and I think when you get that same kind of sleaze ability this kind of the <laughs> fact that someone you don't really you can see yourself being around, but you don't necessarily want to like. Yeah. And I think my point is, I don't get why why Adam Sander, maybe it's just a case he's just lazy, but it's that sense of his own things that he works on and his own projects are definitely of late shite. They are shite. <laughs> and it's a fact, okay, maybe with Netflix, we've got the money in the bag and Netflix will always come out and say his titles do really well. I think uh, the murder mystery. I think was I with Jennifer Aniston was, was there, his latest one. I think it was one of Netflix's top few titles last year. Awesome. You know, it's it, there's an audience for them. It's like in China, you know. Okay, when at the minute they're a bit preoccupied with coronavirus, <laughs> but they seem to be well. You know, if they're going to sit in, they're going to Netflix and chill <laughs> and try and stay away from. They're clearly watching. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh at that. Yeah, they're clearly <laughs> they're clearly watching a lot of Adam Sanders stuff. Possibly. And I, I I don't know. I just don't like his own stuff but yet when he works with other people there's clearly signs of and when you hear them being interviewed he's uh, an intelligent person who as a performer knows what to do and knows how to do can kind of be, be nuanced and has brings in with input towards his character yeah uh, and with the safety brothers have said they've, they've always seen adam sander in this project and they've worked with him and in, in sculpting this character and I was there for at the London Film Festival for the press conference and junket for the Mayor Witch Chronicles. Mm-hmm. He spoke really well, and Dustin Hoffman to talk really well about kind of how collaborating with this with Adam Sander and working on his character and how they helped sculpt this family dynamic. Punch Drunk Love would love to say I spoke to Paul Thomas Anderson about it, but uh, I'd love to say I spoke to Paul Thomas Anderson about it, but I, I haven't unfortunately. <laughs> but I mean, Punch Drunk Love is one of my favorite films. Never seen it. I would rec- if you if you like this, yeah. Watch Punch Drunk Love. Okay. Because it's, it's Adam Sandler being reined in, reined back in, and just kind of trying and giving a performance. And someone who, as I come back to that point, in my typical rambly kind of egotistical way, or in my typical rambly way, 
just kind of making the most out of what Adam Sandler brings to a project. And I don't know, do you, you clearly haven't went through the change. It's going to happen to you. <laughs> Maybe it's a 30 thing. Maybe it's a thing you hit, like, you know, it's, as, as I said in the past, on the past podcast, it's a bit like that episode of South Park where Stan wakes up and everything sounds like shit. And he went to see, goes to the cinema and we have the duck and it's like, the duck's a president. It's like, this looks like shit. This, you know, <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm telling you, Adam Sandler, right? It's, it's a thing. People aren't worried about the current, people are, talking about the coronavirus they need to be more worried about Anderson, adam sandler's <laughs> this maybe is the kind of anecdote uh, antidote for a while or the mean antiviral that might kind of remind you go oh yeah he's good at stuff but i don't know i'm rambling you clearly don't have those issues with adam sandler it's well not not at the moment no um it's kind of like if you look at good time with robert pattinson mm-hmm. ever since robert pattinson came back into acting because he was away for a while you mm-hmm. know he took a break after twilight which he's not, a, not a thing wrong with Twilight? No, well, personally, I've never watched him, but it just wasn't my thing. So, um, but after he came back from that, you know, and he was in Good Time, and then he went on and did High Life, mm-hmm. and then... Superb film. Yeah, it's fantastic, and now he's cast as Batman, and again, a lot of people were like, oh, this Twilight, like, you know, pardon my language, fuck boy, you know, is, and it's like, guys, it's like, you have, have you seen his latest stuff? And people were so quick to judge him on, like, based on just Twilight. Like, no, no, but, you know... Yeah, but we saw that with Heath Ledger when he was cast as a Joker. True, with the likes of, you know, uh, the, oh, what do you call that one he's in? The la- No, not The Last Night. Good, oh, um, I know the one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and again, people, it's it's people who are like that, and it's, fair enough, it's easy, you know, it's easy enough to just jump on that bandwagon and be like, oh, God, you know, I just think cast as a big pop culture character. So it's going to be interesting with Robert Pattinson <clears throat> with the Batman. I've said in this podcast many a time, I can picture him as Bruce Wayne. I just can't picture him as Batman. It's a bit like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man era. It's like he's a great Peter Parker. Yeah, Is he going to be a great Spider-Man? Spider-Man? No. I don't know. But looking at Robert Pattinson, it's an old joke. Sorry, listeners, I use it every time. I could believe Robert Pattinson's an orphan, right? Looking at him, just that wee face, it's like, oh, you've went through hard times, and I could believe that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to be interesting because someone who, like Kirsten Stewart as well, after kind of Twilight, moved so far from mainstream cinema. Moved, oh, yeah. Like Kirsten Stewart went to Europe yeah. and kind of worked with a lot of kind of the kind of artsy fartsy European filmmakers. Personal shopper. Yeah, personal I mean, I'm, shopper. I'm not going to lie, I hated it. I loved it. It's... Clouds of Sils Maria is one of my favorite films by her. It was a film that made me change my opinion on her. Hmm. And you then saw her then come back from the fold. I know she's done other kind of like indie stuff in America, yeah. but we've seen her last year with Charlie's Angels. She's the best thing about it. Charlie's Angels is it's a nuts and bolts film. It's just watch it. it's just nowhere it's just not of the level of Mission Impossible. And it just doesn't really do anything with it. And as I just think Elizabeth Banks had too many hands. She was producer, director, starred in it. Yeah. I think she was involved with the script as well. I think there's a certain sense that maybe she... I think she'd have been a great producer for it. Yeah. And not to say she's not going to be... She's not a good director. But maybe the action side of stuff isn't for her. And, you know, you've got, like, second units and stuff that are there that maybe handle that. I don't know. It just didn't do anything for me. And there she was then in this supposed franchise franchise reboot that just tanked. Yeah. Where are we going to see her? I'm not going to say Batman's going to tank, but it's just going to be interesting to see... When we finally see it out, because you know I like Matt Reeves as a director, the cast is the great cast for is the for, for the Batman. Yeah. It's just going to be interesting to see post its release how that affects. Will we then see Robert Pattinson kind of 
coming in back into the blockbuster fold, into mainstream fold, could we get, we've had a blonde Bond, could we get a ginger Bond? I can't see Robert Pattinson as Bond, no. but you know. everyone sends Henry Cavill, possibly. Dreamboat, but no, we'll not go there. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's we've kind of some way in true Banderflick style, we've ended up talking about Batman. <laughs> uh, is there anything you kind of else just to kind of bring things to a close, bringing it back to Uncut James? Anything you really want to say about the film? I just think it's fantastic. I can't give it enough praise. If I'm being honest, it's again, it like good time. It just grabbed me from the moment mm. you know it started, pulls you in, and you're like, okay, you're in this world, you're with these people in this scenario, in this situation, and you. I well, personally, I was quite breathless in scenes. I was mm. like, oh, I was like, okay, that was a rush. But to me, I love that. I love mm. whenever a film can give me like that sort of adrenaline and mm. you know make me on the edge of my seat. It's very rare that films actually do that. Mm. You know, because most films these days, let's be honest, if they're not a sequel, reboot prequel whatever it is you know there's it's very rare that something original comes along and you know grabs you like that and you're sort of well, like, i think oh, you know okay. bringing it full circle and where we were talking there about netflix and cinema netflix as an organization seemed to be prepared to take risks and yeah. let filmmakers as brian mulholland you know bringing it all full circle talks about so many times when you get him talking about films filmmakers want to tell stories and filmmakers and, and screenwriters, they want to tell stories. Not their stories, it can be different stories. And it seems that cinema, as a platform, like in the cinema where we are now, cinema where you work, what gets bums on seats generally at a nine or ten is a sequel or you know something that's in a pre-existing franchise. You know, we're not going to go Martin Scorsese MCU talk here. But <laughs> it's that sense that those interest in film those those filmmakers will go to somewhere that lets them tell their stories yeah so it's it's kind of it's one of those double-edged sword i am the person i kind of when we talk about scorsese and kind of the whole is the mcu cinematic i always say it's kind of schrodinger's scorsese he's right and he's wrong he's wrong to say that the mcu is not is not cinematic yeah you tell a young black boy that black panther isn't cinematic you are talking out of your arse yeah <laughs> but at the same time i agree with them i don't want my trips to cinema just to be for the next marvel movie oh god the next no. dc movie i i want to see stuff like uncut gems and i know i hold my hand up i had the opportunity it was here on the big screen i didn't take it uh, i did get a, i did get to see the irishman on the big screen i yep, did get to see same. the two popes on the big screen i've seen that yep two popes is great um there's a few other titles i know that were the london film festival that have went on onto Netflix, a couple of horror titles and a couple of kind of uh, meddling. I can't remember the name of them. I apologize, listeners. And I'm glad to see them on the big screen. Yeah. But whether or not I will again get to see them, because we we just don't know. And that's why it's. I think it's amazing that QFT have struck that deal now and they are now giving us that opportunity yeah. to see. I'm not going to say not everything from Netflix I want to no, see on the big screen. Yeah. But anyway, I think, you know, before I kind of ramble off another kind of another 30, 40 minutes about kind of Scorsese and the whole cinematic debate, uh, I think we shall bring things to a close. So thank you very much, James. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you very much, listeners, for listening. If you've enjoyed our kind of rambly, rambly chat, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and fix. And as always, thank you to the audience for hosting us here. We'll be back next week with another pod. But for now, until then, goodbye. Thank you